Hello, and welcome back to uh, Castle Rock Critical, or welcome for the first time, if it's your first time listening, welcome. Today we're going to be discussing Castle Rock Season 1, Episode 8, titled Past Perfect. Um, quick spoiler warning off the bat, we're going to be discussing pretty much the whole of Season 1 up to this point, and obviously all the events of Episode 8, but we're also, in our famous King Corner section at the end, going to be discussing adaptations and novels of Stephen King and how they relate to uh, this episode specifically and other episodes of the show. So uh, stick around for that. But just a quick spoiler warning. So if you, you don't want to know any of that, just switch off before King Corner. But hey, it's good fun and it might inspire you to uh, go check out the novels. But today I'm joined by uh, Emma, who's returning. And she is our King Corner queen, if you will. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's quite yeah. good, doesn't it? I like it very much. Uh, hi, guys. Nice to be here. And uh, returning this week, replacing the ever-negative John, it's Gareth. How you doing, bud? Hi, mate. I'm very, very, very well. Glad to be here. Want to bring some positivity back to the pod. Yeah, I mean, last week was obviously a gut-wrencher. Um, oh. I gave it five blueberries. You gave it five blueberries. Lucy gave it five blueberries. The ludicrous nature of Emma and John not to score it maximum was insane. Um, just, I just, if you want to vent your frustration, I'll give you about thirty seconds now to say why they were wrong and why last week was the standout episode. Thank you so much for the opportunity because this has been bottled up for for the whole week. I cannot believe anybody could give that episode of television anything other than five blueberries. Agreed. It was an absolutely amazingly beautiful surreal journey down what you might imagine dementia might be and it was it was incredible um with the 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 score was beautiful um some of the scenes the the set pieces were um just amazing they they, they there are some scenes there that are just going to stick with you you know like the leaves floating down in the corridor and things like that and then the Inception-esque ending, yeah. just to, to pull it all together. and Oh, man, it was an absolute gut-wrencher. And and Pangborn's death. We, we drank a, a good, almost a litre of rum uh, for Pangborn last week. so <laughs> He would have appreciated it. It was literally eight-tenths of a litre we've drunk, so that is a fact. But, uh, yeah, it's that, a barbaric dictatorship that we can't vote in whatever blueberry form we you feel can, appropriate. You can, and for any new listeners, just to highlight the blueberry uh, rating system, it's something we've done since we were friends, before we started podcasting, and we've blueberried everything we've ever done. So uh, the blueberry system is thus, five blueberries is the maximum you can give, five being the best, zero being the worst, nothing has ever got a zero, and you can give no halves. So it's a harsh scale, you have to sort of come down on on a definitive number. We don't like any 0.5s or any of that sort of bollocks. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Emma, coming to you next about this episode, Past Perfect. What were your thoughts on it? Zero blueberries. Uh, no, I'm joking. Sorry. I thought we'd do it for the first time. Um, yeah. I love this episode. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a bit gory, a bit ridiculous. In places, quite funny, actually, but also quite terrifying. Hilarious at times. Yeah, and completely like slapdash, ridiculous. Dark horror comedy. Loved beautiful. it. Absolutely beautiful. Um, for me, it was a very enjoyable episode. I, I had a great time watching it last night, but it did make my brain spin a little bit, which which is what I like about the show, is when it makes you kind of go, what the feck is going on here? Don't know why I didn't say fuck, to be honest. Yeah, we do allow swearing, but I'll let it slide. <clears throat> let it slide. Uh, um, Blueberry? Um, I'm a bit torn. 
I'm going to give it four. Four, good score. Four blueberries. That's a very good score. I'm going to go next. I'm going to give this a four blueberries off the bat. I think last week was stunning. And if that is the benchmark, and I know we've given other previous episodes uh, five, but that for me is the true truest five we've ever given. I think this is a good episode. It is chaotic. It's pure chaos. And in a good humorous horrific way which i kind of like i think the tone of the show is excellent and i think they've really nailed it all season and this episode is no different but the thing that surprised me the most about this episode was it seemed like the trajectory of death on this show had sort of plodded along a little bit plodded along a little bit and now it's just like i would just kill everyone like literally everyone so we've lost pangborn you got those two little shaggers they're dead Gordy and his missus, dead. Odin Branch, dead. I mean, it's just absolute chaos. I think George R.R. R. Martin's come in to write this episode, just killed everyone that we love. I mean, Jackie Torrance must be loving it, and we'll talk about her later. But I think uh, this was definitely, you know, I loved the concept of the murder B&B. That was genius, excellent. And I loved revisiting those characters, and we'll come on to those in a bit. But it's a four for me. Gareth, what are you thinking about it? I'm on the same page, I think, guys. I... Uh... I found maybe kind of halfway through the episode, there were a few too many moving parts that also seemed a little bit disparate. Um, they were they were kind of it, I, I wondered how it was going to pull it together or if it was going to pull it together, and I, I did weigh in a little bit in the in the middle of the episode, but it did bring it all together beautifully. Um, and the last yeah the last fifteen minutes, man, that, chaos is the right word, and it was it was intense as well i was i was on the edge of my seat yeah what's your blueberry there what's your blueberry over there yeah no i'm 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 chucking four four blueberries on the pile as well yeah so Um, very solid score just to reference um our other podders as they were john who gave last week's episode a three gave this week (laughs) a five now (laughs) i think his scale is way off i don't know what show he's watching I don't think he's watching the same show. Is this like this saying, you know, you you have a right to free speech. Absolutely. Yeah. But we have a right to call you an idiot. That's <laughs> a free speech. Very good point. Um, his points that he did make were good, though. He did love the way we focused on uh, Gordon and his wife. And he said it's like a short little story, which is bang on. And he also said yeah. it made him laugh. And knowing John's humour, he would have been chuckling <laughs> through this episode. Oh, yeah. He, you know, some people yeah. were like, oh, this is really scary. John would be literally laughing his head off. He'd be looking at extras. He'd be looking at Gordon the whole time, laughing at his little face. Yeah. I know what he's, you know, I just yeah. know his little the way his mind works. And you know the laugh as well. It'd be that little Ricky Gervais laugh. High, high-pitched <laughs> like, Ricky Gervais laugh. Chuckling yeah. away to himself. Oh, man. It brings a smile to my face just imagining him watching that. Yeah, so overall, very strong marks from all of us. Um, And I think uh, we should jump into the recap. So for anyone listening for the first time, the way we do things, we're going to go scene by scene and do a recap, talk about theories in between. Then we're going to move on to King Corner, a whole section dedicated to any references, uh, Stephen King references from adaptations or novels and how they relate to scenes in this episode. Then we're going to move on to listener feedback. And that's it. So uh, let's jump into the recap. Hello, and yes, sorry once again, this is where we put the adverts in the podcast, Um, but if you're enjoying it, if you're enjoying the podcast or have liked any of our content before, please do subscribe, it means a lot to us. Uh, This podcast has been great, we've had such great feedback from everyone listening, so thank you so much for that. Uh, We have another podcast, Fan Critical, it's on all the podcast platforms, Stitcher, Spotify, all that jazz, and that covers everything you can imagine, well... 
I say everything you can imagine, but mainly, you know, shows like The Walking Dead. We've done Game of Thrones before. We've done Black Mirror. That's the Netflix series. If you haven't seen that, definitely check it out. We did Stranger Things. We cover all Marvel movies, all major event films on there. So if you want to check anything out like that, please do, you know, search for it, subscribe to it. We'd really appreciate it. And once again, let's get people watching the show because it feels like the audience for this show, like the numbers, they're still not deserving of what it can be. It's doing really well for Hulu. It's not had an official worldwide worldwide release yet, so I think it's important we just get people watching the show if we can. And join your join your Reddit group, Castle Rock TV, r slash Castle Rock TV. They're our favourite. We go on there. We have really good discussions with fans. They tell us theories and we counter those theories and give our own theories. It's just really good fun. And for anyone looking for any Facebook discussion groups, they'll be in the show notes or on the website under the episode link so do check those out and once again feedback is open so just email us at fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com that is fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com anything email us if we've missed something if you've noticed a reference that emma's missed which is quite likely because <gasps> she's half asked the job for the whole season no, i'm only joking she <laughs> hasn't really uh, or any theories just send them in so yep that's fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com and back to the podcast Right, guys, we open up with what seems to be sort of a tenure interview or some sort of PhD interview, uh, which includes a character that we were introduced to way back in episode two or three. His name is Gordon, for anyone who's interested. So we follow him a little bit this episode. I'm going to call him Gordy for the remainder of this podcast. There's a very good reason for that, and we'll come on to it later. But they're discussing the nature of humanism in this conversation. So I did a little digging around. And uh, you'll like this, Gareth, because I know you're into this sort of stuff. But the key theme of humanism, yeah, is that humanism is a democratic and ethical life stance that affirms that human beings have the right and responsibility to give meaning and to shape their own lives. Now, Mm. why do we think that's interesting? You know, looking at the way this show has tackled events and people's deaths and how we believe that the kid is essentially making people do certain things and even the way that Gordy acts in this episode right it's an interesting way to open the episode with this idea that everyone has free will and a decision but it seems that we're kind of being told that they don't have a decision something supernatural is really forcing people to go mad here well and and Gordy's response is bullshit don't believe any of it yeah basically um you know the guy who's there interviewing for tenure which is essentially what's happening, um, <clears throat> talks about forgetting history. And Gordy, good old Gordy, Gordy. Uh, turns around and goes, nah, bullshit, and just, that's it, isn't it? Well, he, say, he says more than that. I yeah. mean, uh, mm. you know, this was my first chuckle of the episode. This is where I also hear John laughing quite a lot. I'm mm-hmm. sure we all had a little chuckle. Did not know Gordy had it in him. Apparently, this guy's been sleeping with his wife. He stands up, slaps a little book around his face. He was absolutely fuming. I'll tell you what, if that ever happens to me... I am going to go down the same route. I'm going to hit them with a book. I think it's an excellent way of getting your own back. I think it's the way to go. And I really hope it was a history book just to fucking shove it in his face. Uh, Gareth, I hate to break it to you, mate. I don't think you're ever going to be going for tenure, but that's just my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that's the route you went down. I thought you were going to tell me I wasn't going to get married, which was going to make me sad. That would well. Down to you, mate. I think that's darker. And considering we're best friends, that would be extremely awkward. I'd lose my best man slot. Oh, <laughs> you would. Yeah, shit. You would. That speech. That speech would go to waste. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's on here, actually. I can see I've it on written notes. it in my notes, so we'll <laughs> get to that later. That's in King Corner. So this is an excellent intro and a nice change of pace from the absolute sorrow 
that we felt in last week's finale. You know, this whole sequence of of, of Gordon or Gordy and his wife, um, just these two random characters. I did do believe that we said we'd come back to these guys because they seemed a bit weird. Yeah. I think we did say we'd see them again, but I didn't know we'd get this much time dedicated to them and at such a poignant point in the season because we were on episode eight. Like, there's only two episodes after this, and I reckon half of this episode was dedicated to two characters who we'd only spent, like, two minutes with before. But I thought they were great. I, I thought it was a really nice... Um, and actually, John, uh, John's kind of liking of a mini-story. It's very King-esque, isn't it? You know, he writes a lot of short stories, and this is kind of just getting an episode of a couple of random people who have a real bearing on the rest of the town. But yeah. actually, you probably didn't necessarily need this episode. But, you know... Most of it. You didn't. You don't necessarily need them in the episode, it, but I loved it. Yeah. And, and it, and it highlights, you know, a lot of things. But basically, they move in, as we know, to Dale Lacey's house. We finally see the conversation with Molly from their perspective. Emma, it turns out they're turning this place into a and b and a true crime B&B. That sounds like something right up your alley. You no know? joke. I sat there and went, I would definitely stay in this b and B. I I mean, um, I think absolutely. it's a wicked idea. It's great. I had the same thought. I thought, I'll tell you what, Emma Phillips would definitely stay at this B&B. <laughs> uh, you know, I, want, I quite want to go there. And we have been planning a trip to Maine. Or we are in the in the early beginnings of planning a trip to Maine. Can we'll, we stay in a true crime B&B? We'll, I would love well, that. Possibly, yes, possibly. I'm not to get, I don't want to be murdered, yeah? So No, I, 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 I think it. I would avoid that place. Let's go for a visit. Let's go for a visit, but let's not sleep there. I'm That's the that. problem. Yeah, day tour. Um, <laughs> these two though this this couple um just quickly they i think like yes we don't know them and it's it is interesting an interesting device to spend half an episode with these brand new characters this late in a season but they're sort of like a like a conduit i, I guess for what's happening in castle rock in general yeah um it's it's like a little micro version of castle rock it's it's just a way of telling us more about the town um they kind of represent that and i suppose also showing that it's not just the people of castle rock but it's anyone who ends up in castle rock you don't have to have been there all your life to be infected by the evil that runs beneath the town you could just turn up open a true crime b&b which is genius and then become murderers although he did he did hit a man with a book before he got to castle rock so he was on the edge he was on the edge before he got there. I mean, that's the thing. It does tread the line between is this something supernatural or is, is he just a madman? Like, because, you know, he's lost it. And the thing that he heard, and we'll come on to it in a minute, is obviously very disturbing for him. Um, but we finally get to see what's in the basement. And this was slightly creepy. This is where, you know, this is where genuine moments of creepiness and horror have been excellently used in this show. And we have what appears to be, I reckon, about 60, 70 paintings of the kid. Fucked up. Yeah. And I have to say, Dale Lacey... He's he's got a talent. He's got a very good talent. Well, he, what's he doing being a warden? What's he doing? <laughs> he he got better with age. Yeah, I think. well you can like see his, that. His, yeah. yeah, his latest pieces are, are probably slightly more refined. And you know you know what you know ones. what doesn't get better with age? The kid because he just doesn't. So <laughs> there you go. That's, That's not even in the notes. That's an ad lib. Off the cuff. You know it's mental. But the fact that Gordy puts them all over the house, this is ridiculous. You know, this is where, you you know, we're questioning how unhinged he is. Throughout this whole sequence, uh, we're seeing these sort of limbless 
dummies and this was just weird and I was loving it I was just trying to piece it together before I figured out what he was doing it was when I saw the one in the bathtub which obviously relates to the death that we saw in episode two in the montage where Lacey talks about tragedies in his own household Mm. that was when I figured out what he was doing but up to that point it was just awesome and the fact that they're building this murder B&B is just a great extra little story or novel and we talked about it and how this feels like its own little story. And this season, if you sort of look at it, they're just loads of little short stories webbed into a grander narrative. Like, you know, you've got Zalewski and his story about his family and the, you know, injustice in, in Shawshank. You've got this. You've got Ruth's story about dementia. You've got Henry and the schisma. Molly's story about the shine. You've got Jackie Torrance hunting all over the place, you know, for macabre incidents. And then later in this episode, finally getting her own taste of murder. So I love the way that this season's been laid out. Like, it's an anthology season. So we know next year is going to be a whole new story. But it feels like we've been given or treated to, you know, five different stories here in this overarching narrative. I love it. But that is what the, you know, the King literature is all about. You know, Castle Rock is this this wonderful Wonderful. Wonderful word. is a strong word, yeah. Uh, Castle Rock is this uh, <laughs> typical town, but it's kind of archetypal in its own way, isn't it? And it underlies everything. And there are short stories that refer to it. There are bigger novels that refer to it. And the season so far perfectly reflects that. You know, you've got your baseline of Castle Rock and you've got your, your big storyline, which is Henry and the Kid. And then you've got your little short stories that dip in and out. And yeah. it's just like the King Cannon. It's, I think it's perfect. Yeah, I think they've done a great job. And uh, Gordy gets very excited when they get a book in. So he's down in he because, you know, his wife slept with someone else and she's trying to have sex with him. And he's like, nah, I'm busy painting my models and that. And then he gets a booking and he's like, oh, this is so exciting. I can talk about all these weird murders. So he's a weird guy. And uh, then uh, basically it turns out they're just there to have an affair so oh, he's absolutely fuming like he's raging as soon as they're like as soon as the guy's like yeah i suppose this place is interesting for people who like it and he just he goes into his shell yeah and you know he's going to get his book out again oh god not not the book not the tenure book the best bit was when he asked them how long they've been married she goes 13 years and he goes to me only two and then the, the look on Gordy's face is like yeah, but his oh. wife must feel awkward as well because mm. she's sitting there just slept with someone just had yeah. an affair so she's there like cutting a little piece of pie and I was just like oh quite wanted the pie Ew. to be fair it looked decent like but you know in oh, all seriousness oh. you know she must no. be like oh this is so awkward I wanted to have sex for a minute ago and now they're going to be sleeping together and I'm getting nothing so let's let's focus on that pie because I have to say how good does like a lattice Oh, cherry pie love a Look, lattice gareth i love time. a lattice pie Mm-mm. so mm, delicious but uh, obviously didn't do enough for gordy because he's hearing those and i have to say this you know it's of you you can be loud but there's 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 just being loud and there's being loud do you know what i mean they were they were just doing it on purpose they were doing it to have a go at gordy i reckon they just were there to wind him up like mental yeah. he has enough goes upstairs butchers them in their mid coitus and uh you know mrs gordy goes upstairs and i thought she was going to die at this point to be honest with you yeah me too um i thought she was a goner Mm -hmm. but turns out turns out partners in crime so that's all before the titles 
mental. Shit, yeah. I know we'll come on to it in King Corner M, but I was getting serious Shining vibes, and there's a lot of that going throughout this episode. So put a pin in that, guys, because we will come back to it. But speaking of the Shining, after the titles, we have Molly, who we do think has the Shine in some sort of way, shape, or form, Mm -hmm. who is having shared visions with Henry, her empath abilities to see what Henry is seeing as he's in the schisma box recording, as we said, his first solo album or a podcast. He's having a great time. I don't know how good it's going to be because it looks like a lot of screaming. It's out there. It's it's different. It's edgy. Yeah, he's going... It's just it. 45 minutes of screaming. Sounds brilliant. But I've been through this with a fine comb again, guys, and I've seen some things. I've been frame by frame through these visions because these are very important. And I think the ones we saw yeah. a couple of episodes ago, I was a, we were able to find some pieces of information that we didn't know before. So I've been through this, and frame by frame, this is what we see. We see a better look at the basement that Henry was kept in, okay? So we get more imagery here. Before, we've only seen the cage, the dirt on the floor, him playing with a toy car, and a man coming down. This time, we see, like, a water tank, some rope on the walls, all that sort of stuff. And later on, if you look at Dale Lacey's basement, it's extremely similar. But that's just a theory. We'll come back to it. More of those spacey visuals that we mentioned before that our friend on on, on Reddit, uh, Amanda Forever, said to us that it was, you know, linked to the Wendigo. You can see, once again, a Wendigo-type shape in these spacey sort of images. Um, we see the kid shouting in the basement, right? We, we see the kid physically shout no in this... Uh, you don't hear the word no, but he mouths it, I've checked, in the, uh, in the vision. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? Well, it's, I mean, it's interesting to hear him have clear emotions, isn't it? Yeah, he seems very emotive, Gareth. He seems like he's like, you know, this is probably relating to in a minute where he says he freed Henry from the basement. It's just interesting to see him there with such, you know, such emotion when we've seen him so like placid and not really doing anything for the whole season, apart from killing everyone. Oh, no, he, he hasn't killed anyone. Well, yeah, good point. Not by his own hand. Not by his own hand. We also see a man in the basement uh, with what is either a screwdriver uh, or a hot poker. Now, to me, it looked like a hot poker, the similar thing that Odin had um, to correct himself, as he says, to to deafen himself. Maybe whoever took Henry was going to correct him. Or if it is a screwdriver, someone trying to free Henry from the gate. So... You know, have a look if you want, everyone. Some juicy stuff in there. Well, I I thought about going back and watching that, and then I was like, mm, "Len's going to do it for me." So, um, thanks, mate. Yeah, me thanks for sharing. No worries. It's, it's all right. It's kind of my job. Kind of my job on this podcast, isn't it? So, you, Gareth, you sit there do nothing. Emma does a little bit with King Cora, and I, you know, and I just do everything. Molly uses her visions, these visions, to rescue Henry from the schisma chamber. Um, and, you know, this is interesting because we've had some feedback uh, from our listener, Sherry, and she's also been through frame by frame. And she thought it was interesting that Molly is saying to Henry, I'm here to rescue you, Henry, as he is also you're seeing that image of the person with the screwdriver down mm. in the basement. So maybe that could be linked that that is Molly that rescued Henry all those years ago, because obviously she could find him like. Well, yeah. She, she, you know, she was able to find him here, and she didn't know how she did it. Is she? Was she able to find him all those years ago? Well, I'm thinking, and this is jumping forward a bit, but thinking about um, what's said at the end of the episode, 
could have been the voice in the body of Molly, but was it actually Molly? Exactly. If she did rescue him with the screwdriver. Exactly dun, right. So, dun, that, so that's dun. interesting. Um, but, you know, as they leave the RV, the Breaking Bad RV, the schisma chamber, we see our boy, Odin Branch. He's he's dead. Um, he's corrected himself in the eyes, which he's just got it wrong. Only go for the ears. Idiot. But uh, basically, yeah, gutted. Gutted about him. Yeah. That's that that annoyed me because he's so cool. Like I I just want to see more of him. I want to see I want to see some mini episodes. Oh, I tell you what. Maybe some of his adventures might be The Adventures next of Odin. Season. The Adventures of Odin. Uh, yeah, that's very good. Tagged on to uh Sherry's piece of feedback about uh Molly potentially being the rescuer. We had a bit of uh, Norse mythology and I know you like your mythology Gareth and I like my mythology. So I was thinking a lot about Odin anyway. But this is a nice little tidbit. And if anyone's played uh, the most recent God of War on PlayStation, you should be up on your mythology because it's very popular at the moment, Norse mythology. (laughs) So Odin wanted knowledge, but not just any knowledge, but the knowledge of the universe. He travelled to the Well of the Erd, also known as the Well of Wisdom, to visit the god Mimir, who was the guardian of the well. The Well of the Erd is the well that nourishes the world tree, Yggdrasil. The tree in which all of the nine worlds of humans, gods, giants, dwarves and elves live. So in Norse mythology, there's different realms. The tree connects them all. Uh, because the well tree grows in the water, the well of the Erd houses all the knowledge of the universe. When Odin approached Mimir, he asked if he could drink from the well. Being a good guardian, Mimir told Odin he'd have to make a sacrifice if he wanted to drink from the well. The well contained too much deep wisdom to offer to just anyone. A great sacrifice was acquired. Odin gave Mimir his eye. Mimir then gave Odin a drink from the Well of Wisdom. From that moment on, Odin gained extensive knowledge. Odin is the Norse god with the most wisdom and is the most far-seeing. So obviously... Ironically. Ironically. So it's funny that Odin here is a definite thing from the showrunners that they're going for with the eye trick because it just is bang on. And Odin is obviously arguably the most knowledgeable character about the schisma as well. Do you know what? I thought this was fantastic. Um, and actually, when I when I read this email yesterday, uh, I thought a little bit about what the symbolism of having him be called Odin Branch, Branch yeah, Tree. Yeah, related to wisdom. the tree, of, you know. The... Um, but this is brilliant. And actually, the way that they've given you that tiny, subtle clip of him with a red hot poker in his eye, dead yeah. on the floor, yeah. you know, trying to finally, you know, free himself and, and get all the knowledge. What yeah. he's done is... I just think it's brilliant symbolism. Really interesting. I love little tidbits of information that they um, put into these episodes and the little details that they really take care over. They've obviously been thinking about his demise since they introduced the character, you know, to do a trick like that. They didn't just go, oh, how did he die? You know, that, they probably worked backwards from that and then gave him the name. So it's it's, it's extremely interesting. I loved it. Um, so thanks for that, Sherry. He's a really interesting character, Odin, as well, as in the, the, Nor- the Norse god. Sometimes he seems like a really positive um, weapon for good. And then other times he's really quite dark and disturbed and kind of mischievous as well. And it's just interesting how you don't know whether he's fighting on the side for light or yeah. dark. And Well, um, Gareth, it, I feel it, like maybe... if, he was mischi- if he was mischievous, he'd be Loki. So just saying. Yeah. You know, well, one well, of his they sons. some of those... They shared some of those traits. That's where Loki gets it from. Odin passed those traits on, didn't he? So, mm, but anyway, indeed. Henry finally decides to believe Molly after finally hearing and seeing the visions with the schisma. He called her fucking crazy, you know, after she revealed that she killed the Rev. 
so this is a nice little moment between them where he's like finally accepting that something more supernatural is going on here he henry's finally starting to see that and and you know the the wall of the rea- the wall of reality that he's been surrounded by his whole life is is falling down it's um i think also a well well deserved apology well she did kill his dad but yeah. you know allegedly he did it through her so oh god mm. well you... i thought i thought he let this this go a little bit easily i mean look yeah she rescued him and that but is he really now totally trusting her or cuz I, I think you'd still think she's a bit bit crazy like a little bit mad mm. you did say that you killed my dad um i'll let that go for now yeah but let's see how that plays out let's put a pin in it we'll see what happens eh um but as he wanders home to see everyone and he's in for a big shock so i was expecting you know <laughs> chaos in that house he opens the door it's all tidy spotless you know, spotless so and then he goes upstairs and, and Ruth's asleep and I was like right okay this is interesting this is you know playing into that idea of alternate timelines alternate histories that we were talking about um last week with with Ruth's dementia but then Wendell comes in late and the kid is there you know he's back and the last time that Henry saw the kid was when he took him to Juniper Hill he doesn't know about any of the events of the Juniper Hill fires or any of that sort of stuff because he's been locked in the box right so Wendell comes back and he's like, he's still here. He's mental, that guy. You know, I like Wendell. He's got his head screwed on. So I yeah. like him. Switched on, kid. Henry gets rid of Wendell, says, go upstairs. I'm going to sort this out. And then the kid takes Henry down to the sort of back house and they have a uh, an interesting conversation. What did you do? She was afraid. Confused. She killed him. I cleaned up. If we take the body into the what, woods... What are you talking about? We have to protect her. Do you hear it? You do? Finally. We have to go. We have to go to the woods. Who are you? Why did you ask for me? I waited for you. I waited for 27 years. I rescued you from that basement and I didn't ask for any of this. Right. Was anyone... You know, in that clip, when Henry sees Alan dead, I was genuinely moved because um, he seemed genuinely very upset that Alan was dead. And that's, you know, I was surprised because obviously they've had a lot of tension. But Alan has been a very important figure in his life recently, especially with the way he's been caring for Ruth. You know, that Henry has eventually seen throughout this season, like their tender moments together. Um, but also we need to remember that, you know, Alan did rescue Henry all those years ago. You know, they, they go back all the way to 1991 as well. So his reaction was actually very upsetting for me in a way. What we didn't see is that Alan had just promised Henry that he'd take him to the baseball game um, that weekend. <laughs> and so he was just gutted. He was going to miss out on 
seeing the Red Sox. Amazing things are said from the kid and maybe some of the most emotional um, delivery of lines that, that you know Bill Skarsgård's had to give this season. He says, we have to protect her. So that's interesting. He he also wants to protect Ruth. So he's got, an you know, a connection to Ruth as well, which, you know, we gauged a little bit from his what we believe to imposter is imposter nature of the of the rev last week not his actual not that he's actually a reincarnation in any way shape or form we have to go to the woods you know do you hear it finally he says in a way that is like you know oh for fuck's sake finally you hear it good Brilliant. yeah that was really nice and then as the police turn up because wendell's called the police he says you know i i didn't ask for any of this you know when I freed yeah. you from that basement, I waited 27 years for you. I didn't ask for any of this. And he says it in such a disdained way. I mean, you know, this, this kind of makes us think he's good again, guys. Do, do we? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I feel, I still feel like nothing that is happening around him is intentional, but, um, he obviously has some sort of negative energy going on. The moment, the moment that he was pissed off at, uh, at Pangborn is the, is the, the one time where I think we've all gone, oh shit, he is actually a bad guy. Mm. But we've now got the context of that and he was probably devastated that Ruth is so upset and trying to stab him and stuff. Um, and it's all, yeah, we can. there's a case for everything he's done being actually out of love. Well, I said this last week, he was being lovely. We, um, we, but do yeah. we think that the day that he rescued Henry from that basement was the day that he was captured? Yes. So that is exactly why he's been waiting 27 years. I Yeah, I think, you know, our timeline, and we've referenced it before, is that very much so when Henry was missing, uh, the kid was captured or very close to that point. Like, you know, from Pangborn's, uh, you know, flashback of that whole situation and when he says it was and everything. So, yeah. And we'll come on to some interesting theories. I've got some really good theories later on, guys, for the end of the podcast before we move on to King Corner about uh, what is going on. And unfortunately, this is the most complicated show since Westworld. So I have no idea. Every week I'm just coming up with theories. Sorry if some are right. Most are wrong. So, yeah, that's a shame. But back to the dead and breakfast. See what I did there? Oh, uh, Gordy is doing some DIY, you know, sorting out the skirting boards. You know, he's chopping up uh, some corpses as well. Because, you know, that's just usual Sunday morning chores, everyone. You know, dismembering corpses. And, to be fair, he's probably got quite good at it because he's been working with those limbless dolls all this time. Very true. So, you know. Very different skills, I imagine. More blood, I believe, is involved with the one that he's doing now. That bit where he's trying to saw through the leg bone. I mean, the effort. I mean, I know it is hard work. What do you mean you know it's hard work? From what I've heard. (laughs) Where have you heard it? (laughs) Oh, Oh, um, fuck. um, Podcasts and shit. Yeah, fine. And the telly. What are you listening to? Mental. Podcast about murder. Um, But that was, I thought that was brilliant because it wasn't just, you know, in some movies or whatever, you see someone chopping up a body and it's literally like cutting a bit of chicken. Yeah. It's not like that. He was really going I would argue cutting chicken can be tricky at times. That's why it, you use a fork and a knife. I use scissors, believe it or Do not. Do you? Yeah, it's quicker. Oh, there you go. Um, Tips for you, audience. Cooking podcast this week. But, you know, Jackie T, who I personally feel has been massively underused this season, mm. is on the way in a taxi to what we find out is going. To, she's going to the bed and breakfast. But we hear some very interesting things on the radio. Uh, we hear that the inmates at Juniper Hill had no known history of arson, but all lit their mattresses at the same time to cause the massive fire. 
Whoa. So once again, it comes into this idea of people not necessarily having free will. Okay, it's it's suggesting that these people were manipulated in some way, shape, or form, which is the I guess the theme of the season and goes against the humanism statement at the start from Gordy. Mm-hmm. She turns up at the door, and this is obviously one of the funny moments in the uh, in the episode. You know, she's she's you know she's so inquisitive. I love her. And I, I absolutely love her in this scene. I think she's. You know, Jane Levy's just been massively underused this season and she gets a bit of time to shine in this episode, which is nice. She wanders in and she sort of figures out what they've been doing because for her, this is like, this is like the best thing ever. You know, she said it was her idea. You know, she's probably gutted that she never did it. Uh, she's obsessed with murders. We said she idolises the sort of, you know, the macabre, you know, incidents that have happened in the town. And- there is nothing wrong with that. Well, no. A healthy hobby. It, fine, yes, it could be. She notices the murder in the uh, reception area and, you know, she goes, uh, <laughs> she goes, well, that's not a fireman's axe. That's a something else axe. And I was just sitting there going, brilliant. <laughs> Total shining vibes, like, obviously. I think I gave her a round of applause. Um, she should know her axes, if anything. And I know in the book, The Shining, it's not an axe, is it, Em? It's not. It is a uh, rock mallet. Or it's a rock mallet, like yeah. croquet. Yeah, so it's obviously riff- riffing off the adaptation version of The Shining, but I'm fine with that. Which is much better known, actually, uh, and I like it. Maybe. Maybe sh- maybe it's a little in-joke, isn't it? She's like, it's like having a go at the at the adaptation Ooh. because they used the wrong, the wrong weapon. Yeah, I like I that. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Very nice, good. Nice, Gaz. Very good. As Jackie leaves, because she's sort of really pushed out the door, I'd be like, yes, this is weird. Why are you being, you know, these people should have played it much cooler. I mean, Gordy was officially losing his shit in this scene. He was he was, he was, was like, right, I'm just going to go sort something out. My wife, who's got nothing to do with this, can sort it all out. Mental. Yeah. If, if you're trying to hide something, just act like a normal person. Yeah. Mm. Don't stand around, like, with your hands behind your back. Look, looking all nervous. Going, yeah. Um... Okay, goodbye then. Just say, yeah, no, probably, oh, we'll, we'll let you know. Yeah. But no, cheers when she tripped offer. on that bag of body parts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she she picks up some sort of piece of jewellery here as she's leaving Jackie. What is she thinking? It's got blood on it, right? She takes a dab of it and just licks it. I mean, I don't want to even get started on the medical implications here. I mean, she is a, a troubled young woman. Advice to listeners. Um if you ever find anything coated in blood, don't lick it as option number one. Um, that would probably be further down the list. Yes. Take it to a doctor's first. That'd be my... Do that. So Jackie's on to something there, but we go back to the diva household. Um, and this line from Henry made me extremely happy. You want him more close? Care of your grandmother for a long time. He tried to be a good man. Sometimes he was. Yes, Alan did try to be as good a man as he could, and he was a good man. You know, he's done very questionable things, right, guys, in his life. Mm. But he did them to protect people, and you know, you know, to protect his his ultimate love of Ruth and. Um, you know, we've said for anyone listening for the whole season, we you know we, we love Pangborn, we love his history in this town and everything that he's done, and we've we've spoke about him at length in King Corner. You know, he's had to see some horrendous things. He's had to see you know 
an incarnation of the devil he's had to fight off. He's had to, you know, fight off many supernatural foes in his lifetime. You, to do that, you, you're going to have to tread the line between good and evil at times, you know? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, rest in peace, Alan. Once again, we miss you, bro. We miss you. The scene with Ruth is tragic, guys. Just going to come on to it next. I wanted to talk to you. Explain what I did before they took me away. He was coming at me. I tried to hide, but he found me out in the shed. I had no choice. I was scared, Henry. He scared me. You know what he can be like. Wait, Mom, what are you, what are you talking about? It's hard for you, of course, but you do know the way he treated you. I was scared for you. I was scared he was going to hurt you. Oh, and I didn't ooh. protect you. I should have. I know, but I didn't because he was not in his right mind. Dad? I don't know how he came back, but he did. I stood up to him this time like I should have before. I protected you. And your boy. You'll help me, won't you? Explain everything. You'll help me get them to see that I had no choice. Fine, Alan. He knows these men. They trust him. He can talk to them. Fine, Alan. Gareth, I'm going to ask you because you weren't here last week. We were thinking that at the end of last week's podcast, we decided that there are more supernatural elements at play with Ruth's story than just dementia. Where do you fall down on this? And uh, do you think this clip either hinders or helps those theories of alternate timelines? I heard heard you all suggesting that you think there's there's something more. Um, I was thinking that again sort of like inception or very much like inception i wonder whether it actually matters mm. because it's like this is the reality that she's accepted that she's believing and you know at the end of last episode she leaves her her chessman on the side and she goes i'm i'm accepting this as reality this time loopy um reality and and i think that's kind of more the point rather than whether it's supernatural or not yeah i think i think you're allowed to make up your own mind as we said last week although it would be cool if you know alan wasn't actually dead and we'll all be for that massively because he's our favorite character and ruth is arguably our second favorite character at times and we want them to be happy and have this happy life the you know the episode before is so much stronger if it is just dementia you know it is it, inherently it's just a stronger piece of, of of television in my opinion so i hope they just leave the door open to the possibility of it being that but i hope they don't ever overtly say anything about it no you don't i don't want any more clarification on it no other than than what we've got yeah and you know i've got some time theories that we'll come on to at the end of the podcast as well. So put a pin in that, we'll come back to it. You know, Henry somehow has escaped this situation without being made a suspect, right? Which is, I, I find extremely interesting considering they can they think that he murdered the Rev back all those years ago and they're just looking for the kid now. So it's interesting in my opinion. But this policewoman, you know, she's an absolute dick. I'm not, I'm, you know... Officer I, I, Dick. She's, you know... 
I can't believe what she's saying here. Something else that she says here is she refers to Henry as a lightning rod. Yeah. And uh, this might be a little bit niche, to be honest, but in the dead zone, right. um, there was quite an important key scene where... This sounds um, like a King Corner piece of information. Emma. Well, I've, I think it fits well here because it's quite small. Go for it, ad lib. Um, where Johnny Smith is tutoring uh, a rich kid and they're about to have their graduation party at a restaurant downtown. And it flashes back to um, it's something else that's mentioned in the novel. Anyway, Johnny has a flash of uh, when he touches the student. Yeah. Not inappropriately, just on yeah. the hand. If John was here, he'd say it's inappropriate, yep. but yeah. I thought I'd get that in. Uh, where he sees the uh, the restaurant where they're going to have their graduation party. 300 kids, you know, finishing high school. Yeah. He's going to get struck by lightning because it doesn't have something called a lightning rod, which yeah. uh, channels the lightning away so it won't cause fire. All 300 of them burn to death. So that's a link to obviously the, the black the black death that he's referred to here as well yeah. from, from 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 the policewoman and this is interesting guys because and that's a nice little tidbit there but uh, this is this is interesting because you know we've maybe been looking at this the wrong way round for the whole season maybe Ooh. you know we've been sitting there going oh the kid you know the kid is the guy that you know is causing all of this chaos let's not forget Henry's pretty much interacted with everyone that the kid has interacted with. Uh, not That's only right. that, he's been in the scenes where the crows have died twice now. And we'll come on to it in a bit, but he was he was at the bus with Wendell and the kid was not. And he was at Juniper Hill, uh, you know, with the kid. So maybe we've been looking at this the wrong way around. What do you think, Gaz? Oh, and, well, remember, every, like, all of his clients died. Yeah, died. Fuck yeah! All of his clients die. He he he's you know he is surrounded by death. Even his job. Yeah, and oh, damn. But I mean, look, it's it's racially charged. But the Black Death is a cool nickname. Like, if yeah. you could take yeah. that, wouldn't you? If you were to have a nickname, that would be a very good one. You know, you'd want that as an as a Call of Duty game attack. You know, because you know <laughs> you know you're in trouble. You're seeing that guy online. Yeah. Oh my Do god, that. I'm not playing against him. So I like that, uh, and although I hate this policewoman because I like Henry and I don't like him being talked down to all the time, um, I like the way that this made me think about you know the kid and Henry's relationship, and we've had a, you know a lot of discussions about how they're linked, and I've got a theory and a theory that's been running for the whole that we've been mentioning, and we'll come on to it at the end about how they are the same person, which is you know interesting as well. But um, yes. you know Henry uh, puts Wendell on the bus, and we've just mentioned the fact that. The crow kills itself. Another suicidal crow, Gareth. You know, you, you like those, don't you? Yeah. I, I mean, this one didn't say anything as it plummeted. Yeah, it didn't squawk loudly enough. Yeah. Um, um, so we didn't know We didn't know what his motivations were. No. Like the previous one. Maybe he was mute. Wendell, don't leave. No, yeah, that was what he said. <laughs> <is he? laughs> Great impression, though. Well done. Yeah, yeah, well. Um, so... As the bus is about to leave after the the crow incident, and we've spoken in, in King Corners about how birds are significant in a lot of um, Stephen King novels, you know, symbolisms of death, symbolisms of the devil, Randall Flagg is attached to, you know, the crows in in, in the stand, I think it is. And, Tad uh, Beaumont and Sparrows. Yeah, Tad Beaumont and Sparrows in Dark Half. So it's extremely interesting, this. But, you know, Wendell, out of nowhere, is able to hear the schisma. What was going on with that? I've no idea. And and actually, there was a part of me that was like, what? This doesn't make any sense. But mm. I thought it was great. And um, yeah, no, I really 
I liked it. It, it. I think... Not for Wendell, who's obviously having an awful time. So we've learnt some interesting information over the past couple of episodes. We learnt, and no, we had theories, you know, a couple of episodes ago that the Divas adopted uh, Henry because of his ability to hear the schisma, or the Rev did anyway. Because that would, you know, why else would they have adopted him, you know? Um, but then we learnt that it was actually the Rev who could hear the schisma, and Henry couldn't hear it at all. He even tells Ruth in private that he can't. And then he eventually reveals that he did hear it in the woods, okay? Shortly before his disappearance and the Rev's demise. Interestingly, you know, this doesn't seem to be a hereditary... Uh, ability is what I'm saying even though that Wendell now has the ability you know you can just collect it it seems through you know maybe the schisma's choice this might fall down very quickly but or it might be revolutionary because I just thought about it now but perhaps it is hereditary but you need to fulfill some sort of requirement for it to work and that requirement might be that you need to you need to have seen death because it focuses in on that dead crow a lot when um, Wendell's hearing it. So yeah. we know that it's connected to this crow. The crow's just died. I'm thinking, you know, Henry's obviously seen death. Maybe it was after, maybe he saw his, his dog die or something. And that's well, when he Puck, after, yeah. that's when he heard it. Um, maybe. I don't know. I like I'm just, I'm I like the idea that it's linked to death, Gareth. I think that is an interesting um, mm. theory. One that I've not seen online, by the way. Um, so if that is if that does come to be true in any way, shape, or form, fair play. Um, and then listeners, if you're credit. listening, let us know if you think that could be right. Um, I haven't heard that before, and I like it. it. I hope it is revolutionary because you know a death does surround the divas, and it does you know surround yeah, the kid. So it makes sense. But I think it could be the schisma if we've and we've said in previous theories that the schisma could be, I, you know, the Wendigo. It could be this other entity or it could be someone like the Crimson King trying to manipulate events or, <laughs> you know, the forces of good trying to uh, manipulate events. I believe whatever the schisma is, it doesn't want Wendell to leave town. It needs him for something. It needs him and Henry there for something. Um, which is why, you know, I think he he's finally able to hear it. Father and son. Father and son, yeah. Like the Reverend Little Henry. Like the Reverend Little Henry and, you know, they might need a sacrifice. I mean, I, I have to say this now. We've said it lots of times. Wendell's doomed, any he? He's doomed. Maybe Henry's doomed. Wendell, just sit on that bus, get your stupid video game level, get up to level five. Yeah, and fi- finally. Go back to Boston. Finally, like, yeah. It, it, Get out of here, mate. Get out of Dodge. Get out of Dodge, mate. Yeah. Oh, speaking of get out of Dodge, did you see the moving van? Oh, yeah. Was it mm. getting out of Dodge, was it? Yeah. It was called, like, get out of Dodge movers. That's nice. What, for the B&B, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Lovely. So, little link there. Didn't even realise it. <laughs> so, now Henry's obviously sent Wendell away with his visions of the basement that he was getting in the schisma chamber. Uh, and they're now improving you know he he's being able to remember more he's like well i couldn't get into lacy's basement i couldn't get in there it was locked you know uh he rings up molly she says yep that you know lacy's wife could never find the key i mean well obviously she couldn't she was blind and he was obviously hiding it somewhere so you know henry thinks i'm gonna go investigate this he goes to the lacy household fortunately um the gaudy murder team have left 
they've gone to dispose of the bodies and he breaks into the basement now when he goes into the basement you know i was looking around here because i'd seen the, the you know the freeze frames i'm seeing similarities in the basement sort of situation similar walls the rope on the wall there's a water tank in there there's some you know there's some weird stuff i'm not saying it definitely is the basement but i'm saying there's a, there's a possibility it is okay but he doesn't find anything in the basement because obviously Gordy has decided to, what I think is arguably the scariest room in the world, put um, all of the paintings of the kid in one room, like some sort of mural. I tell you what, it's second. It's the second scariest room in the world. What's the first, Gaz? The first, the scariest room in the world is Finkel's room in Ace Ventura Pet <laughs> <What? Detective. laughs> Einhorn is Finkel. Finkel is Einhorn. Spoiler warning for Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Jesus. Did, did not see that coming up. But yes, that is arguably more terrifying than this room. Jordan threatened now, to buy me a portrait and put it on my bedroom wall. Was it of Einhorn or Finkel? Uh, neither. I mean, of the kid. <laughs> oh, right, of the kid. One of Sorry, those lacy paintings. Yeah, I forgot we're not doing an Ace Ventura podcast. I think it had been really fun being an artist for this show because I think they would have had to come up with some really cool artwork. Mm. Like, you know, and I always think that the sort of stuff that always goes unnoticed in in production especially things like game of thrones westworld is you know the costume design the graphic design that's involved you know all of the people that are having to come up with the flyers like the missing posters and to make them look authentic and all of that sort of stuff i mean if you're a graphic designer i can't think of a wicked, a more fun job than to work on something like castle rock and and be able to come up with these crazy creations so i was absolutely loving that gareth and i was loving the the variation of the paintings and as henry you know goes through the paintings he has a very clever idea he's like okay people always sign their paintings um what years was uh, you know were these were these made because we forget that henry doesn't know that the kids never aged we know that information alan knew that information dale lacy knew that information but you know henry does not know that i mean that that's 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 what's going through his head at first right that's his first big revelation is well look at this and either you know lacy is terrible at painting kids and just makes them all look yeah 22 <laughs> Or he doesn't age, but then he, he is hit with another major revelation as he's doing that. Oh, and that, yes. So let's come on to the jumper. Now, we were just talking about the missing poster and kudos to the design team once more. But um, we noticed that the kid in the first painting in 1991 is wearing the same jumper that Henry, uh, you know, was wearing in 1991 when he was in his missing poster so there are two theories here you know and we'll come on to them in detail at the end but just a quick over you know overview of what they are is the fact that henry and the kid are the same person from alternate timelines different timelines different possibilities okay yes. the other one is that after the kid uh rescued henry uh he took his jumper okay so just like i'm rescuing you <laughs> but i need a jumper so <laughs> what a fucking knobby thing to nick especially in the middle of winter well he might I need it because it's the middle of winter <laughs> i thought there was gonna be an actual second theory <laughs> the second theory is stolen jumper <laughs> yeah sorry it's not really much of a theory is it it's just <laughs> i think it's more just what probably happened oh, if it wasn't no. castle rock yeah, maybe. Anyway, we'll put a pin in that because we'll come back. To- <laughs> we'll come back. 
<laughs> we'll come back to it later. Oh, God. Can't wait to get to that note. Um, so this next sequence, sorry, I got the last. Oh. Uh, this next sequence is um, with Molly. And, you know, Molly has some of arguably the most, you know, interesting revelations this episode. And um, we get some flashes here. We're getting more schisma type flashes. And, and, and once again, you know. I've been through it frame by frame. Also, uh, Sherry has also, we mentioned earlier from feedback, has also gone through frame by frame. So I've combined notes on this because I think it's interesting I, and I missed a couple of things. So we have flashes of Molly walking through the woods. And this is interesting because she's wearing different clothes that we haven't seen before. Um, <laughs> Henry's, jumper. Henry's jumper. Henry's um, <laughs> jumper. She and, Oh, God, not another one. And... Uh, it's just interesting to figure out maybe when this happened or whether this is a manifestation of her just as, as like we saw Ruth never aged last week. It mm. could just be her, you know, visualisation of herself doing well, the things as a kid. I did know her hair is very different. It's sleek it does and see, clearly straightened. She looks whereas, a bit more professional. She looks a bit more tidy, a bit like she's off the oxy. Which is mad when you're running through the woods. Yeah. Um, we see Henry wearing cool shades uh, again in that sort of interrogation room scenario. I don't know what's going on there. I really want to get a reveal with mm. that one. Now, this is interesting. This is the point that um, Sherry told us about, and she's done an interesting image comparison. Molly is having coffee with the kid, which is weird in itself. They're like sitting down having coffee. And what Sherry's noticed is that um, it's actually in the diva household. So, and I looked at the pictures and I, and I'm, I pretty much agree with her. I mean, I can't see any yeah. reason not to think that it isn't. What do we think is going on there? Well, again, that's different Molly. It's slightly more together Molly. Alternate timeline Molly? Well, potentially. When you said Henry was wearing shades, I so I didn't go through and freeze frame it because, like oh. I said, I knew you would. Um, was that grown-up Henry or little Henry? Little Henry. Okay. So if that isn't a diva household, could be alternate Molly and, you know... We'll, We'll come on to that theory at the end, but um, more flashes now. Henry and Molly in the woods together running. Was she actually there or is this the sort of empath ability that we know that she has visualising what happened back in 1991? We see the knife that we saw in previous flashes when Henry first got put into the schisma box. It's soaked in blood. We then see Molly dead in the woods. Uh, and before we see her dead, there's a, a, a tall figure standing next to her. Okay. Um, and as we see her lying down dead on the floor in these nicer clothes, so this is adult Molly in these nicer clothes, a man, the tall man, steps over her. Um, I personally felt it looked like the Rev, but obviously it could also be Odin or it could also be the kid. It's a very tall person. so Or it could be Slender Man. <laughs> or it could be <laughs> Slender Man. This plays into the end scene, so I, I guess we'll talk about it there, but... When I first saw yeah. this, I was like, obviously, we watched the episode multiple times. And as I said, I go through frame by frame. But I was like, she I'm sure she was dead in that frame. Has she got the ability to see into the future? Now, with the ability of the shine or the shining, you can see glimpses into things that have been. And I believe things that are going to happen. Well, yeah. And there's a, there's a lot that's said uh, by Dick Halloran uh, in the book. Um, I don't know so much about the film. Because uh, I haven't seen it for a long time. But yeah, I mean, The Shining is potentially running through multiple timelines too. You can see things that will happen, have happened, yeah. could happen. So if Things that, that could happen that haven't. So so it's possible that so it's possible that Molly, you know, has the ability to see her own death, essentially. Or, or a yeah. timeline in which she does die. 
Yeah, completely. If she's if she's got the shine the way we think she does, then that's absolutely accurate. After seeing these visions of her own death, she uh, and to be fair, if I had just seen myself die in a dream, I might smash four oxy tablets. Definitely. Be- because yeah, I, I don't know. What do you I mean you don't was, know? Well, because one does the trick, doesn't it? You don't need like half does the trick. She doesn't need to have four. I think we saw her eat three of them, but. Yeah, like slow down. You you know you're gonna need them later. She's been through an ordeal to get her stash before, hasn't she? So, but that's how serious it was. It obviously affected her to a way that in a way that we've not seen before. We've never we've never seen her do more than one tablet. No, I mean I I think it must have been incredibly intense. But watching her do that drive over to Henry's house was like fucking terrifying. I'll come on to a theory about that in a minute. Which Ooh. which is uh, which you're not which you're not going to like. I don't like it, but it's it's out there. And and as we return to the Gordy household, Gordy returns, and this was an interesting showdown. And I was like, well, Henry would definitely take him if this if this came to anything. They played a dirty little trick here. As he was walking out, little stab in the side. Couldn't believe it. Yeah, harsh. Um, I love this though because they just did it with no music, and it was quite shocking. At one point, you're like, fuck, Henry's been stabbed. You're like, what mm. what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, how Mrs. Gordy almost overpowers Henry, I was sitting there going, that is crazy. Henry might not be as strong as we think. Like, you know, he's not necessarily hitting the gym. I don't think he's got time, to be honest. I don't think they have a gym in Castle Rock. I mean, you know, I haven't seen many, you know, in-shape men or women, to be honest (laughs) with you, in that town. Does Mrs. Gordy stab herself in the neck? Yeah, it's like Henry uses her body weight against her. It's classic self-defence. See, I thought she just did it. No, no, no. She, he, he like, angles the blade away from his face and it catches her in the neck. And then, oh. then Gordy goes mad with rage because we know that Gordy's got rage in him. Uh, and then he's overpowering Henry because Henry's in the car. And I was like, well, this doesn't look good. Did not see this coming. Jackie Torrance for the re- for the win, for the rescue. Woo! Yeah. With the axe. Using, using the axe. In yeah, the head. The Torrance trait. This is Torrance 101. This is Torrance. This is in the blood. This is in the blood. Um, but just like the guy in the uh, B&B in the front room or the reception area, same way that he went, uh, which is very interesting. And I love that Jackie finally got her taste of the macabre here. I'm interested to see what Jackie thinks tomorrow because she'll probably be sitting around going, nothing ever happens in this town. Yeah, she's always like, oh, why is it always so dull? Oh, just... What you want about is loads going on at the moment. So the police turn up again, and they must be just <laughs> what is going? Oh. Henry again? Like there is no. What are you way doing here? They're not linking him to Pangborn's death now. All these deaths. How's he going to explain this as well? I mean, he just broke into their house. He's broke into their house. You know, he's not gone to stay there. They know there's no reason for him to be there. Um, so he's in serious trouble. Jackie says something extremely interesting here. I wasn't myself anymore, you know, she says, uh, in reference to the fact that she's, you know, just killed someone. It was like she wasn't herself. Mm. Um, this is interesting and it's a shining reference again. Yeah. We'll come on to in King Corner. But um, also it plays into this idea of supernatural forces controlling key characters in the town. So like we said about the schisma keeping Wendell in town, the fact that humanism was mentioned at the start and that's about people having their own self-control and so, uh, you know free will. The fact that Gordy here said that he's not a murderer, I don't know what came over me. And he hung up all the pictures of the kid incidentally. So the theme 
of these people being controlled, these lives in Castle Rock being controlled is extremely interesting to me. And I like the way it's expanded now, not to just the kid, but also Henry and maybe greater forces at play manipulating key characters to keep certain characters in town and to keep them on a certain path. Right, guys? Mm. Absolutely. I think that uh, I, I actually missed that line. So I'm glad you, you've uh, you brought that up. Yeah. Um, a very interesting moment i think what's also interesting is gordy and his wife they never i mean they saw the the paintings but they never actually met the kid did they no so um they did however meet uh, i suppose they didn't meet henry before they decided to kill a random cheating couple um yes but yeah, because I was going to blame Henry for this, for them going mental. Yeah, I don't, well, I don't, I don't think we have to pin every single death on someone. But you are right. If it is related to the kid in some way, and the fact that it could just be his image or his aura mm. that was captured, and they say that you know paintings like photos back in you know were, were you know they could capture someone's soul. You know when they when they did these things, it's well, an interesting mythology about it and the way that different cultures interpreted portraits and photos. I was about to say, yeah, don't forget the Count of Monte Cristo, but I meant Dorian Gray. Yeah, Dorian Gray. Yeah, where <laughs> painting is very very important. <laughs> Not yeah. the Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah, but also, is there possibly some kind of like underlying vestige of of their both of their souls in that basement in that house? Yeah, possibly. I mean, if they were both stored there for a while, I mean. I think Lacey must have kept the kid there for a little bit while he was building yeah. his uh, sex dungeon, as John would say. But Henry gets a call saying that Ruth has run away and is confused. You know, he leaves immediately to go and find her, uh, which prompts the, <laughs> the police to definitely think he's a suspect now. So yeah. he, he's in trouble. Not helping himself, is he? No, he he's really not helping himself. He definitely could have just gone, I'm really sorry, my mother has got severe Alzheimer's and she's run away in the woods. I've got to go and find yes, her. Yes, but also... We do hear a schisma noise as he's doing this. Once again, this idea of control, pushing characters mm. into certain directions, doing certain things they don't necessarily think about logically. Interesting line in the conversation here from the pastor as he calls uh, Henry about Ruth. He says that she came to the, the congregation or the church asking, is Alan alive now or is he dead? So implying that that she could be seeing different timelines is he alive this time yeah this yeah yeah is he alive this time so it definitely plays into that idea of the fact that she probably does have dementia but it is possible that she has dementia but is also seeing alternate timelines because of because of this dementia maybe in one timeline she did actually kill the kid the you know which is why that conversation earlier was so relevant um and in another one you know alan is still alive so interesting uh thought just a bit of food for thought there we said wendell returns to castle rock he gets off the bus i'm sure we'll talk about the bus stop emma in king's corner so just don't worry about that but he's definitely gonna die this season guys so just think about that so molly you know drugged up to the eyeballs is returning to her childhood home the one across from the Diva household at North Prospect, Castle Rock, Castle County. And uh, there's an amazing score that is going on underneath uh, this uh, this scene. And it's a track, actually. So people might think this is actually a self-composed piece of music. This is a song called Mist, and it's by Haxon Cloak. And it very much leads us down a very eerie, suspense-filled 
climax to this episode, to be honest with you, similar to the couple having an affair earlier in the episode. So uh, just a, here's an interesting clip of what is said between Molly and the kid. For what? But you can help me. Because you know me. I don't know anything about you. You do. And I know you. How do you know all of this? I was there. So what I love, um, just staying on the on the music here, um, thanks for giving me the name of the track, mate. I'm going to check that out. Yeah, definitely check uh, it out. I was listening to it that, today. It was... Um, yeah. Uh, it's not the sort of track that you listen to to chill out to. However, sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need a bit of a dark track every now and then. Something dark. Um, what I loved about it is it, and it starts off with just that one kind of stifled... Mm. A scream kind of thing or like plea for help it sort of sounds like yeah um, and it gets cut off and uh, you get the impression that that's kind of maybe what Molly can hear now that she's all oxied up yeah and she's she's stifling everything that she can hear and then it just sort of builds into this this I don't know it's, it's like hauntingly beautiful bit of music but it's going on the whole time and you get the impression that Molly can still sort of that she knows that something's happening, but but it is being muffled out by. So it's always by the dulled. Drugs. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Like, her senses are like, dulled, like which is oxy. why. And and that relates to obviously her ability to not understand that Henry's been stabbed. You know, so exactly. anyone who thinks that's a plot hole or anything, it's just because she's obviously so drugged up, she can't. She's blocked out all of her ability to have that connection with him. What the fuck is going on? Um... You feel like you get a grip with this show. You kind of feel like you're going somewhere. You you, you you might have a theory that works. And then he says, that's where you died. And I was just sitting there going, oh, just, this is Westworld all over again. Not in a not in as annoying a way as Westworld was for us. But, you know, I love the mystery box. I just hope it pays off well. There's only two episodes left and they've got a lot of lifting to do now because they've mm. just posed more questions instead of really asking anything answering anything sorry so i mean what do you think about that line what do you think i loved it i loved it i thought it was a um a chilling way to end yeah chilling indeed episode. um and i feel like <clears throat> yes it might ask more questions but there might be one answer for all of the questions that we have very uh, yeah. good point it's funny how 
you know anyone who's listened to our Westworld coverage, and if and if you do, please go check it out. Uh, you can listen at Fan Critical, which is another podcast, or via the hosts of Westworld, our standalone podcast for it. Um, but we had such a big problem with that show in terms of the way it handled time and the way it sort mm. of uh, made time, you know, a get out clause essentially, and also how it confusing it became. I just hope they don't have that same issue with this show. I mean, I don't like the idea of time as a get out clause. I mean, you know what I mean? In that in terms of narrative, it gives you a lot of options. Yeah. But what I do like is the idea of multiple timelines. Yes. Um, and the fact that, you know, potentially there are some people who can walk between them, yeah. like Ruth. Uh, that, you know, there are multiple different ways that your life could go at every turn you make, every choice you just, you know, yeah. you make. Yeah. You, something different could happen. And you could die in the woods or, you know, you become some weird, tall, creepy white kid. Exactly. And you for know. any Rick and Morty fans out there, you know, that deals oh, with yeah. uh, multiple timelines and the implications of... You know how emo- and it's silly because it's a cartoon, but it's an amazingly weighty emotional mm. cartoon. It deals with the implications of, you know, how important are these characters if there are infinite versions of them? And I think that's important, so true. you know, because we care about Ruth and Alan's relationship, but do we care about it if there's infinite versions of them and in one version they're happy? Or in, so. like millions of exactly, it lessens that emotional link to this singular character that we're related to so that's my worry my worry is the fact that we lose the connection with these characters even though there are versions of things is you know if there's multiple happy versions of them out there it lessens the drama of what's going on here in my opinion right Gaz? well yeah absolutely i i think that's that's totally fair but maybe that's that is the point that's being made I just hope that if it is that, that we get to see the Cronenberg version of the universe. <laughs> yeah, the Cronenberg universe. I'm looking forward to that. For any Rick and Morty fans out there, uh, you'll get that. And if you haven't watched Rick and Morty and you don't like cartoons or anything, that's fine. But I would recommend it because it's arguably the funniest, most intelligent 23-minute uh, episode you'll ever see <laughs> over and over again. They're excellent. Theory time. Uh, we've said a few weeks ago that the kid is Henry in some way from an alternate universe. What do you think about that? What do you think about the fact that they are the same person? I'm edging closer and closer to it. Yeah, I, I, I think they're really laying into it with that jumper shot. I don't know whether they're trying to throw us off with it. Or, like I said, second theory, he just stole his jumper. Who knows? <laughs> it, we could come back. To, I mean, if that one's right. Can we talk about that theory a bit more? If, yeah, but if that theory is right, you heard it here first, listeners. He just took the jumper. <laughs> so, I mean, let's go into it. Did Henry um, take it off and he nicked it off the floor? Or did he take it off Henry when he stole it? I mean, there's so many possibilities. My interpretation of the scene is thus. Kid goes down to basement, sees Madman in there, captured Henry. He shouts no in slow motion as we've seen in the flashes. He somehow, using his evil powers, destroys the person who is holding Henry. Um, and then as Henry's about to leave, he tells him, I freed you, but now I'm trapped. And he says, but it's cold. Can I have your jumper, please? And he goes, yes, you've saved me. You can have my jumper. It's just like that. That's exactly what's going to happen. At least he said please. Yeah, that's good writing, isn't it? Yeah. So get me on the show. I imagine he just went, all right, mate, gives you jumper. And that was that. When the kid is discovered and they say, who are you? What's your name? He says, Henry Diva. Exactly, Gareth. Oh, fuck, let's yeah. Not, let's not forget the very first thing that the kid says, even though he was told to say so by Lacey, it doesn't matter. Just ignore that Lacey comment, you know. Maybe Lacey knew, you know. But 
you were bang on with that. That is the first thing and that is who he says he is. And it's just very interesting if it all comes back to that one line. I, I would love that. Um, there is a theory going around on the internet, listeners and guys, that is that, you know, playing into the fact that J.J. Abrams is a showrunner here, or not a showrunner, he's an exec producer, he's not one of the showrunners, uh, and following on from his lost, you know, heritage, that um, Castle Rock or our interpretation of this timeline is actually a form of purgatory. Now, I don't like it. I'm not having that. I don't like it, but let, let me give you some evidence. Um, Molly, there's a theory going around that when Molly is driving to the childhood home because she's so drugged up, she she crashes and dies. That's one theory. And then when she turns up at the house, she, she, he says, Henry's not ready yet, but you are. As in like... He's not dead yet. Well, he's not ready to accept that he's dead yet. Uh, uh, he doesn't say that. No, Henry's not ready yet, but you can help me. Is what he says. Yeah, well... That's different. Yeah, Mm. but I still think there's something going on there. I mean, look, I don't buy the purgatory theory. I've just got to voice it because we like to tell everyone what's being said out there because some people don't go on Reddit and some people don't, you know, chat about it every day of their lives. So it's important that we (laughs) tell people that that's a theory. I mean, I don't like it. Gaz, you don't like it. No, I'm not convinced. And Emma, you don't like it. Not having that shit. So let's hope it's not purgatory. I think that would be cheap. Lazy. I, I think it'd be lazy and cheap, but I cannot see that happening um, because I don't think it's right. And that's it for the recap and some theories. Um, now time to move on to the most popular section of the podcast. Woo! Everyone seems to really enjoy it. So uh, off to King Corner. I'm innocent, Red. Just like everybody else here. The house is burning. Hi, Georgie. I'm afraid I have a tendency to turn up the heat. Red rum. Red Rob! Creepy Gary! Creepy Gary! You flop! Hello, welcome back to King Corner. Uh, apparently, the most popular and best bit of this entire podcast. Woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. But I have half-assed it, so you know. I prefer uh, the bit where here... I'm talking. <laughs> who here has heard of the BTK killer? That's the guy that um, Gordy references, right, in this episode. Yep, so that's Dennis Rader. Uh, Bind, torture, kill, that stands for. But apparently, just as a little opening tidbit, because you know I like a bit of murder, um, he, the real-life serial killer, um, was the inspiration for A Good Marriage, which is a Stephen King uh, piece of fiction, about a woman who discovers her husband has deadly secrets. Like Mrs. Gordy. Like Mrs. Gordy and Gordy. So yeah. I quite like that one. Yeah, nice. Um, I thought it was quite good. Um, let's talk a little bit about A Good Marriage. Um, I mean, it's a novella. It's the most recent one, actually. Um, and there is uh, a quote from King where he says he wrote it to explore what might happen in such a case if the wife suddenly found out about her husband's awful hobby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the woman discovers her husband is secretly a, a murdering psycho. Yeah, it's not an original plot line from him, though, is it? Well, not really, but I quite like it, and I quite like the fact that we're we're harking back to it with the Gordies. Yeah, I mean, maybe uh, the showrunners um, have you know read. Obviously, they have read a lot of Stephen King, so maybe they read that. I hope so. Just before the uh, you know when they were pl- planning this uh, show, so nice. Yeah. So we've um, we've mentioned a few of the Shining references. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go back to the ones we've already talked about. 
Um, but there is one which I really liked, which happens right at the beginning. So when Gordy smacks the uh, the kid who's, who's there for a tenure interview yeah, around the face. the cheater. Yeah, that's how Jack Torrance lost his job in The Shining, in the novel. Um, really? By losing his temper and smacking a kid in the face for being a douchebag. I like that. Good link. So this is, he's intrinsically linked to The Shining as well. This Massively. whole This whole episode is Massively. like Shining Town. And the, uh, the dead and breakfast, I'm stealing it, Len. And the Overlook Hotel, very similar. Yeah, here, yeah. You know, like lots that. of similarities. Lots of death has taken part in those walls and you never know. Maybe it's, you know, built on an ancient burial ground or something. Mm. Maybe. 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 Just saying. Who knows? Who wants a nice little tidbit? Who remembers we love tidbits, don't we? the name of the bus station where uh, Wendell gets off the bus to go back to Castle Rock? Um, Go on, Gaz. I know it's 24 kilometres from Castle Rock. Yeah, well, geography once again, Gareth. And uh, the bus stop is Jerusalem's Lot or Salem's Lot. Salem. Oh, yeah, Jerusalem's Lot. I like that. How great is that? That's a little nod, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the bus stop stop was literally the smallest bus stop I've ever seen. So, you know. Yeah, it was. It was a bit weird, wasn't it? It it is the middle of nowhere, to be fair. So It's not... That is not the place to be getting off the bus, Wendell, honestly. Long, long walk at night in that place through those woods, never. So we've mentioned a few other references to why Gordy is such named. Um, oh, I never, forgot, I never got to tell you guys why I think he's called Gordy. Well, shall I tell you mine and then you can tell me yours? Yeah, you, you tell me. Yeah, that yeah. sounds good to me. So I thought it All might right. just be a nice little nod. Not Nod? Yeah. Nod. Uh, nice little nod to uh, the Stephen King story, The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, which is about uh, somebody gets lost in the woods. We've talked about this. Yeah. Um, Obviously a massive theme. Massive, massive theme. But what, what's your, uh, what's so, your theory? So uh, my, my theory, which I forgot to mention in the main cast, guys. Sorry about that. It, so many things to cover this week. Um, but it was, if anyone can remember the scene where the kid... The most terrifying scene yeah, of all the time. Yeah, the kid wanders through the streets when he first gets released from prison. And... Oh. Uh, Basically, he walks in on a house, which we've established was the past. We've established it. He was seeing a vision from the past. The Animal Crackers song playing and the parents that fought over the kid's birthday. That kid was called Gordy. He wore glasses. And we know there was a lot of violence in that family. So I was wondering if there was any sort of, you know, link between those two characters. Because he was called Gordy the little boy. Um the knife imagery in that scene was extremely prevalent, as was the way that Gordy uh, killed the people that, that were having an affair. So just a very interesting point there. Maybe nothing, but might be a link. I I assumed that it was the same character. I didn't think say. about it. Um, I love that. It's a bit of a... Yeah, yeah lovely. Um, well, not lovely. Well, disgusting no. and murderous. Terrible. Um, one last little bit. Uh, which is taking it a little far in King Corner today. Yeah. Uh, we talk a lot about basements here. Yeah. There is actually a uh, there is actually an alternate reality game on King's website, uh, which is in a promotion for a novel called yeah. The Basement. Right. Yeah. Right. So you unlock codes or press cheat, but that's cheating. Oh, is this for Mister Mercedes or whatever? Yeah. There's that's been a lot of um, there's been a lot of uh, hype around that. On yeah. a lot of our Stephen King groups that we that we are members of, so check your Stephen King um, groups out. There's a lot of basement shit going on. Have a look, check it out. See if you can do it without cheating. Uh, that's pretty much it this week. A lot of shining stuff, but I don't want to go repeating it because we talked about it a lot. We, but I will clarify that in the novel, 
It was a, a rock mallet, and, not, and uh, not an axe. If we haven't covered it enough in terms of maybe you guys want to know more about The Shining, um, I would highly recommend if you haven't seen the adaptation, even if you don't like uh, horror films because they're too scary, I think it treads the line between, I mean, it is terrifying, but I think it treads the line between horror and, you know, extremely dark thriller. Um I would say go see it. Go see it as soon as you can because from a cinematic standpoint and the way that um, films are put together, you know, it's just revolutionary and jaw-dropping and the score is horrendously terrifying and the acting from Jack Nicholson is... Wow, I watched it again about a week ago because I was just, you know, I'm in Stephen King mode. So um, Mental. Um, yeah, I watched it on my own again. But I just love it. I love it. So... Um, do check it out if you haven't seen it. I'm sure everyone listening has seen it. And if you fancy a bit of a longer challenge, uh, read the book. Because the original book is... I mean, I just read that about two weeks ago. Oh, yeah. It's bloody brilliant. It's creepy as hell. It's confusing. And it's very actually very different to the adaptation. They both yeah. have their both have their positives. And I think I love the film. haven't seen it for years and definitely not watching it on my own. Um, but the, the book is also equally spectacular yeah nice now it's time to hand the reins back to Len for a bit of feedback how do you like it <laughs> okay let's talk what do you want to talk about thanks for that M. good uh, King Corner this week obviously a lot more to uh, chew on than the previous weeks. Even a bit of serial murder, my fave. Yeah, you'd love that. Um, but now it's time to hear from you guys. And we've had some uh, a lot of feedback and it's been amazing. And if you guys want to get in touch, who hasn't got in touch before, our email is fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com. That is fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com. I'll put it in the show notes as well. Um, any theories, anything we missed, let us know. Uh, or if you're enjoying the show or if you're not enjoying the show, do let us know as well. Let us know if we can do anything better. Now, we did have some feedback on our social platforms saying how mental Emma and John were not giving the episode five blueberries last week. So thank you, Correct. listeners, for validating Most of that was me. me, Gareth and Lucy in our five star, five blueberry review of last week's episode. Um, and shame on John and Emma for having an opinion. Now, <laughs> <laughs> make them feel bad. Most of that feedback was was. Just me. And that's it for feedback this week. No, I'm joking. It's just Gareth saying wrong. So first up, an email from Charles, uh, who says the following points uh, about the Rev and Corinthians. Now, it's interesting. We've mentioned Corinthians for two weeks. Uh, It was the speech given at the Rev's uh, funeral, and he also was preaching it in his sermon in Ruth's time travel dementia episode last week. We have referenced, and Charles has let us know again, that the Corinthians passage is, of course, referring to the resurrection of the followers of God and he's followers of Christ, sorry, um, and specifically the people who can hear the voice of God. So that's interesting, plays into the idea of the way the Rev was interpreting the schisma. He also says, could Henry have been resurrected? So once again, the theme of resurrection, the blink of an eye which is a part of the Corinthians, is him reappearing in the lake. He's been given a new body, once again, new body, part of the Corinthians, that is clean from impurity. The kid is the embodied impurity. That's why Henry can't remember. So interesting that that yin and yang that we were talking about, the idea that the kid is the negative reflection of Henry. We've said that before, but... That's like Tad and George, isn't it? Yeah. Dark half. Yeah, and I've got some stuff about Tad 
tad for you in a bit oh. um, in the feedback. Charles also says the Rev is a lunatic. Yeah, bang on with that one, Charles. I think he is mental. Thanks for that, Charles. Really appreciate it. Uh, next Thanks, up, Charles. Uh, uh, Mary emailed in a very cool reference to the Dark Half, and I've got to run this one past UM because I've not read read the Dark Half. Um, but she says this, she says, loving the podcast, so thanks for that. Her two cents, she's just started listening to The Dark Half on Audible. In chapter two, during Thad's nightmare, Thad being one of the main characters, of, mm-hmm. I guess, of The Dark Half, he can't turn around because he knows George Stark is standing there holding the pearl-handled straight razor that his mistress used to carve up his face at the end of Machine's Way. She's wondering if the ghost that Molly sees is a combination of Thad's you know, and her own demons, because obviously the Rev is covering a bandaged face, which is obviously quite reminiscent of this, you know, visualization of the carving up of the face with a razor. Mm. So what do you think about that? That it could be a twisted form of both their nightmares? Well, very interesting. How spoilery can I be? Don't give away the plot of the dark half too much, because I think we should, and, and, yeah. and if she's reading it, especially don't give the plot away, because, you know... So okay, and I'm, so I'm going to read it as well. Yeah. Okay, well, I won't spoil any any major things. So the pearl handled straight razor is uh, George Stark's weapon of choice mm. in the novels. Um, well, in the novels, he's I can't remember his name, bloody hell. Um, but Stark is the author, yeah, embodying the character of uh, the guy in Machine's Way, yeah, Alex Alex Machine, something like that, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, absolutely, and that reference to the fully bandaged face. I would love to tell you why that's so reminiscent of, of Stark, but I'm not going to because it is a massive spoiler for the book. Okay. But I hadn't noticed it. And actually, Mary, I've got to say, great work. Yeah, nice little nice little uh, link there. But she also won't know what it is until she's finished it. Okay, well, Mary, get back in touch when you have finished it and uh, let Hiya. Emma know that you're very satisfied with the link there. Mm-hmm. Um, Good work. Following on from our... Um, our friend Manda Forever on Reddit last week and him uh, or a couple of weeks ago telling us about the, the Wendigo and how, you know, this is, it could be a Wendigo in the woods that's causing all of this stuff. And that is a very popular theory at the moment. And I think, you know, we like it. We like the idea that it's it's a Wendigo. But um, someone else on Reddit, Bill, Bill Dowis, asked this. Um, he said, I just posted this in a separate topic, but am I the only one making the connection that Henry's son is named Wendell? which seems a lot like Wendigo. Can't be a coincidence, right? Um, I quite like the idea that even if it isn't Wendigo, I like the way that they've called him Wendell. I mean, I don't like his name Wendell. We've said for weeks I don't. we don't like the name Wendell. But if it links into a sort of a Wendigo sort of link, I'm quite happy with it. It's probably a nod. A bit like you've got um, Gordon, Gordy, yeah. Tom Gordon, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, is it, do I mean Gordy Lachance as well? Yeah. Or is that... yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. you've got loads of little nods to the canon. Uh, it's interesting. I'd, unless he's going to be a Wendigo. I don't, no, not I don't that want he's it. a Wendigo. No, no, but I'm saying <laughs> unless he's going to be a Wendigo, I don't what, like it. What I quite like about it is the fact that if the Wendigo is like the schisma and the voice of God, which we've said in previous things, links to the Wendigo's powers, his ability to mm. commune um, with people in the woods... It would be extremely interesting if the Wendigo sort of like was like, Henry, name your son Wendell. (laughs) (laughs) If Wendell was a Wendigo. I quite like it. Or God, I'd be happy. Well, you know, Wendell, if Wendell is the the, the big bad at the end of this season, fair play to the showrunners. I did not see that coming. Well done, Wendell. Um, And lastly, why is uh, Floyd Pink... I like that name, on Reddit, had some very uh, kind words about the podcast and then said that they live in Maine and we should we should uh, go and check out uh, 
Stephen King's house, it was home in Bangor, if we because we've been talking about our main trip for a while. Um, and the fact that, you know, our friend Acadia over at Castle Rock Historical Society, another podcast that we very much like, go check them out. He's from Maine, so he has a very good perspective on uh, on Maine itself and can late, relate it to all the Stephen King novels and everything like that. Um, but, you know, what is Floyd Pink said, if we do venture overseas to Maine, I would highly recommend you check out King's Home in Bangor. It's extremely creepy. He always does fun stuff for releases. He put red balloons in the windows when it came out. Quite like that. Well, Marie Very nice. on Facebook told us that uh, he, he's quite often around town and friendly and fun. So I think... Got a lot of friends in we, Maine now. I think we go for an interview with Stephen King. I think we just push for it. I think we literally, if we go out to Maine, we push for an interview. I reckon he'll give us one, you know? He, he hates King Corner. When, uh, he, when not, he hears about how much time done. we've dedicated to King Corner and how many books you've read him... Yeah, fair point. He's going to be like, you've, you've probably... You probably bought in that house with all those books that you've bought. Probably, yeah. I can't I'll, even afford to. I'll eat. just sort of, I'll stand in the background because he'll be like, "Oh yeah," and then you know, if you've read this book, and I'll just be like, "Yep, yep." You don't read, dear Gaff. It's we've, such a problem. I, I, when we need to get you nice and literate, and then you'll be all right. I can't, I can't read. It's it is a major issue. Yeah. Do the um, do the audio seeing books as I'm like an Mary. English teacher? Yeah, do the audio Could books. Do. Could do. I can't understand English either. I, literally, I'm just guessing. I'm just making noises at the moment and hoping it makes sense. Oh, you lovely. can probably, probably get the audiobooks in um, Australian if you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, terrific. Pennywise walked out and said, good oh, right. Fuck that. <laughs> he, he said, he said, blimey, I've got an axe in my head. <laughs> call, call blimey, Beverly. I'm going to capture you now. You'll float too. <laughs> I can't understand any of that. <laughs> Anyway, on that, and sorry to any Australian listeners for our terrible... <laughs> Gareth lives there and his impression's as bad as mine. Um, but that's it for feedback this week. Uh, please do get in touch with more feedback about this episode that's just gone or any predictions for future episodes. It's fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com. Um, it's been a really fun record, actually. An extremely long one because uh, there's so many scenes in this episode, so many things to dive into. If you have enjoyed, please do subscribe. And um, send us a review. You know, that's always nice. We appreciate those. We're reviewing quite well on iTunes. So yeah, send reviews. But we like them. We like them. It's nice. Yeah, we love them. We actually love them. It makes our day when we get a review. It does. And... You know, it's nice having reviews. And we don't mind if it's good or bad. So go for it. But well, preferably well, good. No, we do. Preferably good. John will lose it if he gets Just a bad good. one. We told you he's an angry man. Yeah, you've got to um, be careful about that. We don't want to push him over the edge. But, um, yeah, so please do subscribe. Uh, check out our other podcast, Fan Critical. Uh, we would appreciate if you were subscribed to that too. That would be amazing if you like any of the content we mentioned earlier, Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, Black Mirror, Stranger Things, all of that jazz. Um, and that's it. So we're going to go to the Mellow Tiger, have a little drink. I reckon so. I've had too many drinks, to be honest with you, but they won't let me in. They're not going to let me in. Oh, fine. Next week. Not again. Um, but yeah, thanks, nice. thanks, Em. You're welcome. Good night, guys. Uh, thanks over there, Gaz. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, listeners. Yeah, thanks. And um, yeah, see you guys next week. Only two episodes left now, so we're on the the home stretch, as it were. Let's hope that they can really bring a satisfying conclusion and you know a satisfying ending to this amazing first season of Castle Rock. See you guys next week.
Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.